Amen. All right, open up your Bibles to Genesis or Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We are at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the series is called Moses, a Story of Doubt and Deliverance. The section we're in now is called the Big Ten. I bet you can guess why. Just tell me why. What are we studying? The Ten Commandments. Yeah, you were hoping for basketball. Sorry. Here we are. It's uh, the Ten Commandments. Number one, no other God. Chapter 20, verse 1. I showed you last week that the mountain is on fire. There's thunder and lightning. I even scared you by playing a lightning bolt. Several people told me they didn't like that. I promise I won't do it again. Sorry. Here we are, though, at the mountain, and it's on it's, it's booming, it's quaking, it's shaking. And, and so it's not just like Moses came down with like a notepad. Everyone sit down, I have a few things. No, this is thunderous. Chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the first commandment. The first commandment is all about who God is and how you know him. Who is God and how do I know him? Some people live their entire lives never finding the answer to this question. There are people in this room right here and right now who are living their lives without an answer to this question. Who is God and how do I know him? God reveals himself in the Bible. He spoke. He spoke. The Israelites heard it in thunder. And God wrote it down on tablets. He revealed himself through his voice. And what did he say? I am. That should make you think of something. What does that make you think of? I am. What does that make you think of? A few things. What did the bush say to Moses? I am the I am. God is starting off with his name and his title. I am the Lord. The Lord can be pronounced Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on... See, the, the uh, Hebrew vocabulary, they, grammar people will like this. They, they only use consonants, and they just let you fill the, fill the vowels in on your own. Okay, it would have made spelling tests a lot easier. Because of that, there's a few ways you could interpret. It's either the Yahweh or it's Jehovah. I am the Lord, your God. Your God, he's a personal God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He did something in space and time for you, geographically. Slavery, he broke the bonds. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. It can mean before, it can mean besides, instead of. Number one, jot this down. Know the truth, know and believe the truth about God. Know and believe the truth about God. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, what comes into your mind? This is a case in the Bible for monotheism, meaning there is only one God. What is he like? Jot this down, summarizing what we've learned of him in the Bible. God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Omni, omni, omni. If you want to remember that. <laughs> omni, omnipotent. He has all power. He's strong enough to bench press two planets. 
He has strength to create billions of stars and to keep them burning. Here's a picture of a galaxy. Just stare at it. And let it hit you that God made in his infinite might every one of those stars. This is just one galaxy. He made billions of these. Billions of them. How long did it take us to throw anything into space as humans? And God put all of that there. He is omnipotent. His power is beyond your ability to fathom. He's also omniscient. He has all knowledge. Listen, he knows everything. Everything about you, everything about everything. God has never had to look on your paper for an answer. Maybe you think you know better than God. He's never learned anything from you, ever. You're not helping him with the things you think he should be doing. <laughs> he knows everything, and his knowledge is perfect. He's never learned once. All knowledge springs from the bottomless well of his mind. I went to Oxford several years ago uh, in England with Mike Kiowski, where his heart was really burning with a passion for Europe, and now he lives there. Check it out. Here's a picture of one of the most famous libraries in Oxford. We got to tour that library, walk around. Here's one more picture. And when, when we were there, somebody told us that this library and this network of libraries keeps a copy of every book ever written. They've got a copy of it. You write a book, they're going to get a copy of it. You'll at least sell one copy. <laughs> so, and, and, and they have this underground system of filing where it goes on and on. That's where they store all the books. And as I was standing on top of the sum total of human knowledge and understanding, all of it, I thought, this is nothing compared to the mind of God. Nothing. The mind of God exceeds everything that they have recorded. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He is with us every moment. You can be surrounded by a crowd of a million people, and he's with you. You could be all alone hiking in a remote forest, far from all civilization. I talked to somebody recently who told me about this dream fishing trip. He'd be on a plane landed on a river and dumped us off and flew back and we were a you know, hundred miles from anything. They couldn't get there. They couldn't get us if, if we got in trouble. God was there. God was there. He's omnipresent. Jesus, one of the ways that we know Jesus was God is he possessed these qualities and you can't. He calmed the storm and showed his power. He knew what people were thinking and showed his knowledge. He told people that he saw them when they were somewhere else. He was omnipresent. You will never be these attributes. These are non-communicable attributes. You can't get them, but Jesus had them. That's what makes him one of a kind. We know and believe the truth about God. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Jesus also claimed to be alive in the distant past. Jot this down. God is loving, just, and wise. Now, these are just examples of communicable attributes, meaning things that are true about God that can become true about you and me as well. And not only can they, they have to become true of us 
because we were made in the image of God. God is loving, just, and wise. These are traits we can possess. It says in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. We're supposed to live lives as imitators of God. Uh, sometimes comedians do impersonations, right? Impersonations. Um, I have one impersonation that I can do. Just one. I don't know how I learned I could do this, but at some point in college, I found out that I could do an impersonation. So do you want to hear my one impersonation? Okay, don't make me laugh, because I'll mess it up. <laughs> Which line am I going <clears> to... <throat> All right. I found a cure for the plague of the 90s, and I've lost it. Who is that? <laughs> it's okay, right? It's okay. It's, 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 it's better if it's not over microphone. So... Now, when I do that, right, you're like, oh, I know, that kind of reminds me of, kind of reminds me of, see. And there are things you can do and things you can be where people are like, oh, that, that kind of reminds me of God, right? That, like, when you're loving, you're impersonating God. When you are just and fair, you are impersonating God. When you are wise and discerning, you're impersonating God. You're, you're doing your God impression. That's what you were born for. You were made to live in a way that displays the glory of God to other people. One of the problems with sin is when you violate the will of God, you're no longer fulfilling your purpose, right? God is loving, just, and wise. Because these things are true about his nature, this is a very crucial point right here. Very crucial. Sometimes I try and elevate moments in the sermon so it doesn't just sound like one big... Because we believe that traits like love, justice, and wisdom emanate from God's nature, they come from his nature. We can't violate them without violating him. Right? This is really huge, because a lot of people don't think that morals come from God's nature. They think they can come from anywhere. But we believe that these truths spring forth from the nature of God. So if you want to be in a relationship with God where you know him and serve him and love him forever, you cannot violate the moral policy he hands down. As he hands down the Ten Commandments, he's showing you his heart. He's showing you his soul. He's showing you his nature. And you're like, meh. What you do with his word is what you do with him. There's no such thing as, I'm going to live life the way that I want to live it, and God's going to accept me anyway. No, you've lost focus on what morality is and where it comes from. You can't break his law without breaking his heart. And you can't rebel against his law without rebelling against him. God is loving, just, and wise. Thank God, though, there's a way for us to be redeemed. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being transformed back. We were made in his image, then we fell, and now we're being transformed back into his likeness. What hope we find. God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's loving, just, and wise. Jot this down. He's also merciful and vengeful. He's both. He's merciful and vengeful. Guess which one of those two words our world really likes? Guess which one of them our world doesn't like? Oh, everyone's in favor for a God of mercy, a loving God who would never hurt anyone. Not a vengeful God. The good news is God forgives the vilest of sinners. Moses was a murderer. He buried a man in the sand. 
God forgave him. David was a murderer. He murdered a guy and then stole a guy's wife. This was a man after God's own heart. No, this was a sinner condemned to die, saved by the grace of God. Paul killed Christians. Yet all three of these men are in heaven right now because our God forgives the vilest offenders. I don't know what you've done in life. I don't know how far away you've fallen from the image of God, but God will forgive you. You. You can be forgiven because he's a merciful God. He's also a wrathful God. He judges the best-behaved unbelievers. doesn't matter if someone thinks they're a good person. Judgment is coming. I asked my daughter once when she was much younger, how are you going to get into heaven? She was maybe like four. She said, well, I would say, God, you've done a lot of good for me, and I've done a lot of good for you. We're even. <laughs> well behaved isn't enough. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. If you're a good person, it's time to become a saved person. God is merciful, but he's also vengeful. Nicodemus knew the Bible backwards and forwards, the Bible of his day. And what did Jesus say to him? You're good? No, unless a man is born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You need spiritual rebirth. You need new life if you're going to get in. God is merciful and vengeful. I'm telling you this before it happens. You will experience the earth and the sky rolling away like a scroll, you will stand in the presence of a holy, awful, terrifying God. And then books will be opened. Your book <laughs> reaches to the moon with your sin. Your only hope of being saved is the mercy of God. Ask Jesus to save you. This is the truth about God. Know and believe the truth about God. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's loving, just, and wise. He's merciful. He's vengeful. Number two, jot this down. Reject the rival views of God. God tells us who he is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And people are like, all right, I'm good with that. Number three, or, or, verse three, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now that's a problem because the Israelites had many gods to choose from. This commandment rules out the option of someone coming and worshiping the Lord one day and then going and worshiping another God another day, meaning they can't have both. This commandment rules out someone turning away from the one true God and embracing another God. So you can't have God plus other faiths or other gods, and you can't have other gods or faiths instead of God. That rejects the first commandment. Denying that God exists also rejects the first commandment because God introduces himself and says that he is the Savior and the Lord, your God. And if you say, no, he's not, uh, the Bible said, in his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. It's pride and wickedness. No one believed the truth about God. Reject the rival views of God. This commandment implies exclusivity. There is only one God. Our world can't stand that. It's like nails on the chalkboard to say our God is the only true God. But it's the first commandment. Understand that this commandment is focused on the nature and truth about God, which means 
It is possible to believe wrong things about God, sinful things, things that you will be judged for believing. Again, this is just going against the grain of what we are told. We live in a pluralistic society where there are many truth claims out there. Uh, that just is the world. But a relativistic view viewpoint says, well, all those truths are the same. Or they can be same, they can be true at the same time. That's where we say, no, no, the first commandment says there is only one true God. And we reject the rival views of God. There aren't no other options in heaven. God is the only one in the heavens worthy of our worship. So this commandment implies exclusivity. It also implies supremacy. Whatever other God or faith or idea of God out there, our God is supreme. For many of the Israelites, they couldn't get to the point where they thought that these other gods were false. In their entire lives, they figured they were true and real and there, right? So God met them in that and described himself as superior over all the gods, right? What a, what a grace, what a mercy that God would do that. Fine, you want to believe they're real? Look at how I triumphed over the gods of Egypt. And so God, our view of God is exclusive and supreme and highly insulting to our world today. Jot this down. Some believe in entirely different gods. Some believe in entirely different gods. In Moses' day, they had rival gods. Egypt had Osiris, the god of the Nile. Ra, the sun god. And they spent 450 years in Egypt. Who knows how those gods got into the Israelite community, but those gods were as, as common and public and influential in the marketplace as, as anything. Then they, they moved into the Canaanite area and God was trying to get them ready for the temptation of the other gods that they were about to meet. Gods like Asherah and Ashtaroth, female gods of fertility who offered you power through sexual experiences. Is it any wonder God was worried about how the men in the community would respond when they met a cult that told you you can grow spiritually by sleeping with a priestess? Oh, I can, can I? Yeah. Head on over there and sleep with a priestess and your spiritual life will go where it's never gone before. Well then, mm, what a temptation. God's getting them ready for it. Or there were gods like Moloch who demanded human sacrifices and not just humans, children sacrificed, burned alive, aged two and under in the fire. Why? Because then you will get spiritual power over your fears. Your lives will be blessed. You'll become prosperous, and, and Moloch's anger will turn from you if you would only kill your own child. God was getting them ready for these false beliefs about God, or, or Baal, the rain god, who allegedly spoke in thunder. Who could forget the challenge of Elijah up on the hill challenging these gods uh, to a duel? And as the prophets of Baal sliced themselves open and bled all over to try and please their God, he didn't show up. Because he's no God at all. These gods are false gods. There is a spiritual engine behind them, demonic, but they are not real gods. Some believe in entirely different gods. Today, people still believe in other gods. Hinduism, for example. Here's a picture of Hindu worship. Uh, Ganesh, one of their gods uh, being worshipped and they believe in millions and millions of gods, but if, if all you thought was that they believed in a quantity of gods, you wouldn't get their belief right. You see, they believe in a different definition of reality. 
than you. They think the physical universe is really a divine illusion. It's not real. They think that, in essence, everything is God. Only God exists. Making everything an expression of God. You, me, animals. It's all God. And the physical world isn't real. It's just a divine illusion. You see, we have a different view of reality than what Hindus believe. We don't believe the physical universe is an illusion, and we don't think that God and the universe are combined in any way. We think God is creator. He's separate and distinct and holy. There is no blurring. There is no meshing of physical and spirit. God created the world. It's a very different view. I talked to a Hindu cab driver once on the way to the airport, and I, he was telling me about his faith, and I told him I was a pastor, and I said, can I ask you a question? I said, we know today based on science that the universe came into being. It exists and it operates according to physical laws. It follows laws. It's not governed by gods. I said, how, how do you still believe that the physical universe isn't real? And he said, that's a good question and I've thought about that a lot. Young guy, trying to process his faith and what he's learned in his science classes. And there's a tension there because he's told one thing uh, you know, in his worship and another thing in, in uh, chemistry class. But their view of reality is different. They don't think the physical world is real. They think it's made by and governed by uh, gods. Jot this down. Some believe similar things but deny our God. They're similar to our belief, but they deny our God, and so they are rival views. Judaism denies that Christ is the Messiah and God's Son. They think that Jesus was a revolutionary who was viewed as a criminal in the eyes of Rome. They think he simply died. He was executed. And then they think Paul later changed the books to elevate Jesus to becoming a god. Uh, they don't have any rational basis to hold that view because what we know about the Apostle Paul does not line up with that theory. Why would a man who was out to kill the church suddenly change sides and become the most uh, ardent defender of the gospel? It doesn't make sense why he would even die for the Christ that he was persecuting. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are the big three monotheistic, monotheistic religions. Islam has similar views to us, but they worship a different God. Their God, our God is relational. The God of Islam is removed, far removed. Uh, the God of Islam has done nothing to help us with our sin problem. He has never come down. The most powerful verse in the Quran you can recite says, God is not a father and he has no son. Um, we don't believe in a God who isn't a father. Our God is a father and our God has a son. Because of that, some of the most well-known um, Muslim scholars are quick to point out that Christianity and Islam are very different. A scholar named Ismail al-Faraqi said this, Allah does not reveal himself to anyone in any way. Allah reveals only his will. Allah does not reveal himself to anyone. That is the great difference between Islam and Christianity. Muslims will never know their God. He's an absent God. They can only know his will and only hope to find favor with him. But Allah doesn't even need to care. On Judgment Day, the deeds, the good and the bad, the angels sitting on your shoulders will report, but Allah doesn't even have to care. He can accept the most wicked human who's ever lived just because he wants to and turn away the most righteous person ever, and it's just his will. 
That's a very different God. It's a very different God. So they believe similar things to us, but they deny our God. No Muslim believes Jesus died on the cross. None of them. They serve a very different God, and they have a very different faith. Some believe similar things, but they deny our God. Therefore, what Colin Smith said is true. Teaching that all religions lead to God breaks the first commandment. Teaching that all religions lead to God breaks the first commandment because it puts all gods on the same level. God has an identity. You have an identity. You do. Uh, I have an identity. My wife has an identity. If I sat down with my wife over lunch today and held her hands and looked deeply into her eyes and said, Honey, my favorite part of you, my favorite part of you, brown puppy dog eyes. I just can't get enough of you. Uh, I would be in big trouble. Do you know why? Because my wife has blue eyes. See? So if a loving person describes something about another person that's untrue, that person gets offended. Right? If I described you as something that's untrue, for example, if I accused you of being dishonest, you wouldn't be okay with that. Um, God gets insulted when we believe things about him that aren't true. So let's put behind us this sentimental idea that people can just believe anything they want about God and they'll be okay, probably. That breaks the first commandment. The first thing God wanted to tell us in his list of ten is that that infuriates him. So let's not be deceived. God's not okay with that. The religions out there in the market are not the same. They're not. And they can't be true at the same time unless you break every law of rational logic out there. Moral relativism doesn't work. In addition, you can't combine them. Some people like treat religion like the old country buffet. I'm a little Christian and I'm a little Buddhist. I'll put a little of this on my plate and a little of that on my plate. You can't have any other God besides him. He won't let you be a little of this and a little of that. That's not okay with him. This is monotheism and this is the will of God. Know and believe the truth about God. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's loving, just, and wise. He's merciful and vengeful. Number two, reject the rival views of God. Some believe in entirely different gods. Some believe similar things, but they deny our God. Don't be deceived. Number three, worship the one true God. Worship the one true God. Look down at verse 18. Uh, the one true God who alone can save you. In verse 18, it says this. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. But the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. When people want to punctuate a sentence powerfully, they might put an exclamation point. Or maybe ten exclamation points to show that it's something really important. God decided to punctuate the Ten Commandments by setting a mountain on fire and shaking the ground. I think we're supposed to listen. We had a fire at the church this last week. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you saw I was on the phone, and suddenly I heard pop, pop, boom, pop. It's probably payback, because I scared all of you, and so now I'm being scared. So I come out of my office, and I'm like, what's going on? And someone's like, there's a fire. And I'm like, in the building or out of the building, in the building or out of the building. Fire, fire, fire. 
So then we finally figured out where the fire was. There was an electrical pole out back. On fire! Here's a video of the fire. Setting off the smoke detector. Oh boy. Okay, this is... Now it's going. You wonder if that fire's live. They're going to shut off the power to your church. You should get inside. It's just burning. I have a feeling things are going to I'm wondering, is that pole going to fall over? Is it going to follow the line and get to the church or whatever? Oh, gosh. Right? So that line yeah, at the bottom there is now. And so the fire engine's are on the way. That cord's about to go. But when there's a fire, what do you do? What do you do? You call what? You call 911. So we called 911, and then ComEd had to come out because the fire truck can't hose it down until ComEd turns the power off. So they're all, they're all just waiting there. They're all just like waiting and watching, like waiting end. for ComEd to show up. So when there's a fire, you spring into action because it's terrifying. We found out that that fire started because a squirrel was chewing on the line. A squirrel, a satanic squirrel tried to burn down our church. Yeah, but they stopped it. Yeah, that little critter died a horrible death at the bottom of that pole. It was burning and burning and burning. Yeah, somebody just said, aw. He was trying to burn our church down. Aw. Hey, here's a picture of a mountain on fire. Well, actually, I did want to show this one first. You can go back to that. God revealed himself in the burning bush to Moses, and Moses was afraid, and then he set a mountain on fire. Here's the next picture of the mountain on fire. That's a volcano going off. That probably is what it looked like. I don't know about you. I'd listen. Anybody else? Anybody else? God wants to tell me something, and he writes it in stone and starts a mountain on fire and shakes the ground under me and hands it to me. I'm not talking back. Moses talked back to the bush. Nobody talked back to the mountain. So if you reject what you're hearing today, um, what else can God do to convince you that this is his will? This is good news, though. If we worship the one true God, he alone can save us. We're invited into his presence, terrified, because we're warned. Hey, if you don't approach me the right way, this isn't going to end well for you. Jot this down. You are called by God. You are called by God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You're called out of slavery. He must initiate. He must call. He created you, he knows you by name, and this is big, you must follow his voice in order to be saved. Jot this down, you are called by God to be saved, to be saved. Man's greatest need is not to be taught, it's not to be helped, it's not to be healed. Your greatest need is to be saved. You need a rescue. Only God can do that. If you think you're a pretty good person, you don't understand. You're a, you're a, you're a pretty good convict, you're a pretty good imprisoned person spiritually. You need to be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news. And then to worship. Jot that down. You were called by God to be saved and to worship. You're called into his presence, filled with grace and truth, so that you can become a worshiper of the most holy God, so that he can be real to you, and you can thank him for rescuing you, approaching him with reverence because he is a consuming fire. Not continuing in sin, turning away from it because he's rescued you. This portrays what God wants to do for you. Maybe you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. Maybe you've never stood at the foot of Sinai, looked up, and in fear, realized that your sin offends a holy God. Maybe you've never nailed it down in your heart 
that there aren't many ways to God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Hey, I want to give you a chance right here and right now to ask God to save you, to ask God to deliver you, to rescue you out of the market of sin so that he can deliver you safely into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now as we close this message together. Thank you for this great news, Father, though it was delivered in a terrifying way. Thank you for the great news that you came down to rescue your people and to lead them out of slavery and into your glorious presence. We know that you were showing Moses that we can't enter your presence in our sin. But if we repent, you will save us. Jesus, we know that you died on the cross to take away our sin. The wrath of God fell fully on you. You were thrown in a tomb, and on the third day you rose again. But there are some here who aren't resting their lives on that truth yet. They haven't reached out for the free gift of eternal life. I pray, Lord, that anyone here right now who understands your anger, your wrath, and your love would finally admit that they have sinned and broken the law of a holy God. That they would admit, Lord, in their own heart right now, perhaps praying this with me silently, saying, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Forgive me, I have sinned against the one true God. Come into my life. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe he rose again and rules now. Welcome me into your holy, awesome presence for eternity. I pray, Lord, that anyone who is reaching out, coming near to you right now, though in fear, would realize that you have forgiven them, you have washed them, you have taken all of their sins away. Thank you, Lord, that you call us up, not Mount Sinai, but Mount Zion, into your holy presence where we can live with you forever without fear. Thank you that you show us only Jesus can make that possible. We pray that you would save souls in our church and prompt people to get baptized to tell others what Jesus has done for them. And as you do that, may you be greatly glorified here and all around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand and let's sing.